0: just that. I'm a little shorter. (laughs) Well, good evening. It's it's good to be here. And uh, I don't say that just as form, as you know. As Mike said, I'm a guest speaker, but not in the typical sense, you know. We've known you folk for a lot of years, and and for Robin and I, it, it's been a blessed relationship, blessed fellowship. It really has, and it's been something that the Lord has used to be a real encouragement to to us, and. Particularly in the work on the field, you know, you and you're, you're probably thinking, well, you know, what do we do? Uh, but that's always the response of the Lord's people, isn't it? The Word tells us that. You know that when in the last day, the Lord will s- speak to them of the things that His people have done, and and what will their response be? It, it, well, when have we done these things? But it's true. It it is. You know I say that from from my heart that that you 've made such a difference in a meaningful way to Robin and I in the ministry in, on the field, and just by your fellowship by your encouragement and though just it 's just always been such a delight for us to come and visit here and you know I want you to I just wanted to express those thoughts because too you know i the world may look at it the church here in the Dalles with disdain and think, really it you know, what is it? It doesn't amount to much of anything. But that's not true at all. And you and I know that, and I'm gonna to touch upon some of those things tonight, I trust by the Lord's grace and in these next few days, that the the Lord has a very different estimation of what matters than we do. And it, that's been an, an encouragement to me over the years, a, a tremendous encouragement, because it causes me to reflect back on, on what matters. and we all, The world is, is directing our thoughts to everything that doesn't matter all the time, and it's a continual battle. And the word of the Lord brings us back to consider things with spiritual eyes in the light that he's given to us by his grace. And so, you know, Norm was uh, was asking me on the way up if I was going to do a series of messages, uh, probably because last time I did. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And I said, no, but... Lord willing there'll be some common threads that, that you'll see uh, and I I wa- did also mention that I had, had thought I would do a series on Christ as the final temple and as I began to prepare that I realized it was way too much for me it's such a tremendous truth and that's encompassed in that statement christ the temple and and i realized i could I, I wasn't prepared at this point in time to do that but lord willing these messages are are things that that the lord can teach us from his word so if you would turn with me to second samuel chapter 22 second samuel chapter 22 And just maybe to direct our thoughts uh, while you're doing that, I, I could say one of the common threads I hope we'll, we'll see in these messages in the next couple of days is what is a statement that's given, the Lord gives with, in Zechariah with regard to the rebuilding of the temple. And if you remember... Those who had seen the temple and its, the former temple and its glory, when they saw this rebuilt temple, what did they do? They wept, didn't they? Because of the former glory. But here's what the Lord says in Zechariah He says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, with respect to the building of that temple. And then the capstone will be placed upon it with shouts of grace grace unto it and, and this wasn't a small thing to, to the Lord the rebuilding of the temple why because it typified his son who would build the true temple and, and so a little further down he says do you despise the day of small things yes sometimes we do and so we need to have have the eyes, the mind of Christ, if I could say it that way, we need to have the mind of Christ as we consider things are are these small things, or are they in fact small in appearance only, but in fact great and glorious and wonderful things of the grace of God, so just as i've got off track a little, and I haven't even started, but just as some thoughts to direct our, our minds as we look at some of these truths here. So, in 2 in Samuel, here in chapter 22, we have a uh, song of David, a song of David, and so let us consider, as, as we look through this, consider some of the greatness of the grace of God, a greatness which is revealed to us in this song in an unexpected way. In, in, chapter, in this chapter, we have this, these words of a song of David written in his old age, I, I think it's fair to say, towards the end of his life, because the next chapter begins, these are the last words of David, chapter 23. And so this is, we could say, David, it's, he's towards the end of his life and he's looking back, on his life, and, and he writes this song, inspired, of course, by the Holy Spirit, so it's not his song. In fact, we know this song is the words of Christ. There's two verses in the New Testament which are quotations with reference to Christ from this song of David. It's a song repeated in Psalm 18. Word for word, virtually. And so that too should tell us something of the importance of this this particular song of David. It says, then David spoke, verse 1 there, then David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord had delivered him from the hand of all his enemies. Now David was a great king, a man of formidable courage, a military genius, and a mighty man of war. Under his reign, the enemies of Israel were utterly defeated. In in the 43rd verse of this chapter, David says, I beat them as fine as the dust of the earth. I trod them like dirt in the streets. That's how triumphant he was over the enemies of Israel. Now, King David... Was also a man of great character, a man of real wisdom and strength, a leader of men who was loved, honored, and respected. And this was especially so because very early in the history of Israel, the Lord revealed that David was to be a type of the Lord, the promised Savior. And so we know that this song of David has its, as its preeminent message, the sufferings and the triumph of the Savior and His substitutionary work of atonement. And so when we read through it, we need to keep that thought in mind. Now it has has other other things that were being taught as well, but that's the primary one. We know that the deepest fulfillment of this passage is found in Christ. But we also know that David is representative of the believer also. Is the believer saved by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in that great work of redemption. So let's consider then a little what the word of the Lord has to say from this portion as it Speaks with respect to Christ but also as respect to his people. David knew that his greatness was entirely of God and not of himself. All of his abilities, all of his accomplishments, all of his wisdom and strength, all of his great victories, all were of God. David never failed to give honor and glory to God. He knew that. And this was his desire above all else. And this is why the scriptures speak of David as a man after God's own heart. And more than that, David knew that the only greatness that matters is spiritual greatness. Just look over to verse 32 of this chapter for a minute. He says, For who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? God is my strength and power. He makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of deer, and He sets me on my high places. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have also given me the shield of your salvation. And we would expect the next phrase to say, your strength has made me great, or your power has made me great, or even that your greatness has made me great. But no, no, what do we read? Your gentleness has made me great. Isn't that remarkable? Well, I think the Lord wants to, Teach us something from that. That's a great statement. Well, there's so much in this song of David, but I'd like for us to consider something at least of what the Spirit has to teach us when David says, Your gentleness has made me great. That David would make this statement, especially following the early part of this song is is particularly notable but but anyway first let's we let's go back and look in the early part part of this song we won't be able to look at all of it but we find David in deep distress that's the first thing we find him after the introduction we find him in deep distress and he paints a stark and desperate picture of the straits he's in beginning in verse 5 we know that the natural enemies that David faced in, in his life, particularly as the king of Israel, were, were given to us as, as a picture of sin. of Sin as the enemy of God's people, the enemy of God's people. And so here, keep that in mind as we read beginning in verse 5. When the waves of death surrounded me, The floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. Here is David, and we could say that he's in the waters of the deep, shipwrecked. This is the picture that he's he's painting. The waves of death surrounding him, crashing in upon him, unmerciful and implacable, Washing over his head, as as the word of God so often pictures. He's perishing. That's the picture we're given. He's perishing. The floods of ungodliness made him afraid. Not a mist of ungodliness. Not a shower of ungodliness. No, floods of ungodliness. Black floods of his own iniquity and transgression and sins. When his eyes are open to see his sin, to see who he is, he's afraid. He's afraid. The sorrows of hell surrounded him. The sorrows of every wicked thing hemmed him in on every side, dragging him down into the blackness of darkness. The sorrows, the wailing and the gnashing of teeth. Sorrows forever. He says, the snares of death confronted me. The snares. Who sets those snares? The the devil. Satan and his his minions. The snares of death confronted me. Satan and his hosts of evil ones do all they can to ensnare him and imprison him in the darkness of death. These principalities and powers the rulers of the darkness of this age, isn't that what we're seeing everywhere today? Manifesting themselves. The spiritual wickedness in high places stand against him to entrap him in eternal death. What what a horrifying picture. Think of that. What a horrifying picture we see this state of man is faced with all these enemies A state of hopelessness and helplessness think of that think of these cries of David sin death Satan hell all arrayed against man what hope do we have what can we do Cry out, cry out, cry out to the Lord. Verse 7, in my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. And he heard my voice from his temple and my cry entered his ears. You know, there's none, not one who's cried out to God and has not been heard. Not one. Not one. Think of that. And there never will be. I cried out to my God and he heard my voice. What a wonder of mercy and grace. And then we're given this terrifying glimpse of the power and might of the glorious majesty of the Lord. Lord coming in the greatness of his strength to save his servant David and two, typically to save his Christ in his substitutionary work of his atonement, to save his people. This was all here. This was all here. And in prophetic portions of scripture like this, where the words being spoken are the words of Christ as well as the words of the... Writer, there's something that's essential that we keep in mind, that we understand. With respect to Christ and his work of redemption, so close is the spiritual union, so close is the spiritual union between Christ and His people. It's like they're one and the same. And at times, the words are Christ speaking is the Redeemer. And at times, He speaks as our substitute. And in, unless we understand These things, particularly in terms of these prophetic psalms, will be hopelessly lost as to what is being said. And so let's keep these things in mind. At times we can say that Christ speaks for us as our Redeemer, and at other times he speaks with us as our substitute. Do you follow? When he speaks, it's like you and I speak. Because, why is that? Because we're in him. And he's our substitute. In the verses we've just been considering, Christ speaks with us. How, how could that be? How could, the, the, how could he be in this state where the waves of death are surrounding him? All of these un- enemies arrayed against him. The floods overflowing him. Where do we hear language like... Where else do we hear language like that when it's speaking of Christ in his work of atonement? That's, what, that's why, isn't it? Because he stood there as our substitute and everything that we were deserving of came upon him. And so that's why we hear... We, in those first few verses, he's speaking with us. Well, Well, now in these following verses... He speaks to us as our triumphant redeemer and savior, riding forth upon the wings of the wind in the greatness of his strength, conquering the enemies of his elect. And note as we read, the language of judgment and destruction. We we read of trembling earth, quaking heaven, smoke, devouring fire, coals, darkness, thick clouds, Thunder, lightning bolts, the blast of the breath of the Almighty. Look there in verse 8. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of the heaven quaked and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down. With darkness under his feet, he rode upon a cherub and flew and he was seen upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness canopies around him, dark waters and thick floods of the skies. From the brightness before him, coals of fire were kindled. The Lord thundered from heaven and the most high uttered his voice. He sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning bolts and he vanquished them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, the foundations of the world were uncovered at the rebuke of the Lord, at the breath, blast of the breath of his nostrils. You see, surely after this, David would say, your omnipotence has made me great or your majesty has made me great. But no, we saw, what does David say? Your gentleness has made me great. Isn't that amazing? Why? Why would David say that? Because the greatness of the grace of God to David is demonstrated most of all in the gentleness of grace. Think of that. Not in that might and power. No, no. Not in the might and power, but in the gentleness of grace. That's what matters to David. That's what has the true power. Look at verse 17. What does David continue? He sent from above. He took me He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. Who is this strong enemy? This enemy too strong for us. It's our own sin, isn't it? It's our own sin. All these other enemies, think of this. All these other enemies hold power over us only because of our sin. Satan, death, hell, only because of our sin. That's our strong enemy, isn't it? It's too strong for us. That's why Christ makes that important statement when he's about to go up to Jerusalem to the disciples. You remember that? And he says, Satan has nothing in me. Satan has something in you and I, doesn't he? He has something in all of us. But he didn't have anything in Christ. Nothing, nothing. He has nothing in me. That's what Christ said. What a statement that is. And this is what David no doubt had especially in mind his sin his sin this was the enemy too strong we're in the deep waters of sin the many waters of sin with the waves of death surrounding us and it's an enemy that's just too strong you know when we read passages like this how could we read it's inconceivable that we could read passages like this and think that there's anything that man could do to save himself. Is that the picture the Word of God is giving us? That, that, that we're in a place where it's salvation is possible through doing something? I don't need to go into any details. What, what's the picture that David is presenting? It's a, it's a picture of overwhelming hopelessness. A man who who can do nothing. The enemy is too strong. He's sinking down into the pit. He needs a savior. That's the picture that David is presenting. Because our sin is an enemy that's too strong. It's just too strong. You know, I think I've maybe mentioned this, but it's such a blessing to me, as I remember it, and you know in New Guinea, we live in this river valley it 's high in the mountains, and at times during the rainy season, the river that 's more like a creek in that valley becomes just this raging torrent of water of many waters, lifting boulders the size of cars and 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 carrying trees along as if they 're match sticks it, it's a frightening sight the sound of it is is just like it's many locomotives it, and and I'll forever cherish the testimony of a young woman Weapu speaking of God's saving grace to her and she had tears of joy running down her face and this is what she said she said I was like a day old chick in the midst ...of that mighty torrent of waters... ...the river of my own sin... ...and the Lord reached down... ...and plucked me out. And... ...isn't... ...isn't that what David is speaking of? Isn't that the experience of every one of the Lord's... ...people? David says, "...he sent from above... ...he took me... ...he drew me out of many waters... He delivered me from my strong enemy. Surely, these are the words of every sinner saved by grace. Your gentleness has made me great. Look at verse 21. Now, again, keep in mind who is speaking? twenty one. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed me. Now who is speaking? Is that, is that me? Is that you? That your the Lord has rewarded you according to your righteousness? According to the cleanness of your hands? Who can this refer to? Only Christ. Only Christ. Do you see what I'm saying? We need to understand what the Word is saying to us in Psalms like this. Who is speaking? And what's the meaning of it? This can only be the Christ, the Holy One of God. Only the God-Man. Perfect divinity and perfect humanity. Here he is speaking about the perfect righteousness he and he alone has wrought for his people. Every portion of his life on this earth, perfect, perfect, pure, holy, just. Every, what what could we say? Every intent and thought of his heart, only righteous. Continually. Here's Christ speaks to with his people because we're in him. We're in him by covenant and we're in him by faith. These are his words and there are words too. Isn't that amazing? Think of that. And why is that? Because we're found in him not having our own righteousness, but his righteousness, the righteousness which is of God by faith. What a wonder. Consider, consider now as we read these words, that these are the words of Christ, but by God's grace, there are words too, because we're in him. Verse 21, the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed me, for I have kept the ways of the Lord, and I have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me, and as for his statutes, I did not depart from them. I was also blameless before him, and I kept myself from my iniquity. Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his eyes. Isn't that a wonder? His righteousness, but our righteousness too. And this is how God looks upon his people because of Christ. And you, what, you and I, what do we see? We see none of this is true of us, is it? <laughs> none of it. But in Christ it is. It is. What wonder. What grace. What can we do? Just cry like David in verse 32 where he says, Who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? God is my strength and power and he makes my way perfect. And then in verse 36, You have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your gentleness has made me great. Well, Turn over and we'll finish up in Matthew 11. I, I, I have to finish there. Matthew 11. Turn over there. Matthew 11. And I'm sure you all know the passage I'm turning to. Well, where is salvation to be found? Where is the gentleness of grace revealed in its brightest glory? Well, it's revealed in His Son, Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 27 of chapter, Matthew chapter 11, we read, here's Christ speaking. He, he says, all things have been delivered to me by my Father. And what is he speaking about in particular? We know that all things are his, but he's speaking about particularly redemption, isn't he? All things have been put into his hand by his Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Are you burdened by your, this great enemy that's too strong for you? Are you laboring in many waters? Well, what does he say? What does the one say that, in, into whose hand all things have been given, particularly the things with regard to the redemption of the sinner? Listen, come unto me. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What a promise. Can there be any words more full of grace and mercy and kindness and love and compassion and tenderness? Can there be any greater promise for a perishing sinner? Come unto me. All you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to him. Come to him. And what will you find? What have you found? What's he like? What will he be to you? Well, 29, he tells us. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls the grace and the power and the glory in that statement. Here's the one we read of in that song coming in his greatness and his glory riding upon the winds. His enemies dissolving at the breath of his nostrils. And how do we find him? gentle, and lowly in heart. He's gracious. He's long-suffering. He's abundant in goodness and mercy and truth. Isn't this what every perishing soul needs? Isn't this what every penitent sinner has found coming to him? I know I have. I know you have. Well, let me tell you a parable of repentance. You all know it. Jesus spoke this parable of a man having a hundred sheep. If he loses one of them, what does he do? He leaves the ninety and nine and goes after the one which was lost until he finds it. Until he finds it, It makes no matter how long it takes or where that sheep may be in the treacherous mountains or in the darkness of the depths. He'll go after the sheep until he finds it. He'll go into the waves of death for his sheep. Where the sorrows of shale surrounded him. And the snares of death confronted him. And he'll draw that sheep out of many waters. And he'll deliver him from his strong enemy. And when Jesus has found it, he lays it upon his shoulders, rejoicing and takes it home. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. And this is what Jesus said, Likewise, I say to you, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Come unto Jesus and coming unto him you will find that the shepherd of the sheep has found you. Isn't that what that's teaching? That's a parable of repentance. Well, what's it a parable about? It's a parable of that Savior going out to find that lost sheep putting it on his shoulders doing everything necessary to bring that sheep home this is a parable of repentance coming unto him in repentance we find that the shepherd of the sheep has found us, he's taken us he's drawn us out of many waters tenderly bound us up and laid us upon his shoulders and has gently carried us home rejoicing. And that's why you come to Jesus. That's why any man comes to Jesus. That's why you come in repentance because he's found you, a lost sinner, and brought you home rejoicing. And we praise him and we adore him. that's all we can do. And we'll sing this song in eternity. Your gentleness has made me great. Amen.